Tired of long waits and rushed care at the ER and urgent care clinic? Next time, stay home and let Dispatch Health bring the power of the hospital to you. I call Dispatch Health. A care team of medical professionals actually come to your house. They're the same caliber of people that you would see if you were at a hospital or an urgent care. Dispatch Health can treat most non-life-threatening emergencies. They can do the x-rays, they can do stitches. Urinary tract infections, blood tests, urinalysis, ultrasound. It's almost everything that they can do at the ER. You never feel rushed. They're there for you and only you. I felt like their only patient. And it costs no more than a trip to urgent care because Dispatch Health is covered by most insurance, including Medicare. See if we serve your home at DispatchHealth.com. Dispatch Health really went above and beyond. It's wonderful to have care come to your home. House calls are back, and they're better than ever. Learn more at DispatchHealth.com. Imagine your new bathroom, a sparkling new tub, a modern shower conversion, a seamless new wall, all done in as little as a day. Introducing Bathfitter. Join over 2 million customers delighted with our one-of-a-kind remodeling process. No demolition, no mess. Guaranteed for life. Installed in as little as a day. Book a free in-home consultation at bathfitterpodcasts.com and get our best offer of the year right now. Bathfitter, 35 years of better bath remodels. Tired of long waits and rushed care at the ER and urgent care clinic? Next time, stay home and let Dispatch Health bring the power of the hospital to you. I call Dispatch Health. A care team of medical professionals actually come to your house. They're the same caliber of people that you would see if you were at a hospital or an urgent care. Dispatch Health can treat most non-life-threatening emergencies. They can do the x-rays, they can do stitches. Urinary tract infections, blood tests, urinalysis, ultrasound. It's almost everything that they can do at the ER. You never feel rushed. They're there for you and only you. I felt like their only patient. And it costs no more than a trip to urgent care because Dispatch Health is covered by most insurance, including Medicare. See if we serve your home at DispatchHealth.com. Dispatch Health really went above and beyond. It's wonderful to have care come to your home. House calls are back, and they're better than ever. Learn more at DispatchHealth.com. Welcome to the New Heights Show on Education. This is Pamela Clark, your host of Education in the News. We have a a lot of news stories for you today, and as usual, we're going to jump right into them because... There is a lot to share and a lot going on in the world of education. The first story I have for you is from the Herzog Foundation. That's H-E-R-Z-O-G. They have a publication that they put out. It's called The Lion. And uh, they have a story from uh, Josh Mann that was written by him. And... 
This says, Maine's religious schools' hands are tied even after Supreme Court ruling opening door to state tuition funding. Thanks to a Supreme Court ruling in June, religious schools in Maine can participate in the state's tuition program. So why aren't they signing up? Their hands are tied. The state said you can take the money, but will tie your hands. Maine parent David Carson, whose family was a plaintiff in the case. So, um, the case is, um, sorry, hold on a second. It was Carson versus Macon, M-A-K-I-N, told the Associated Press. The hand-tying is a reference to State Attorney General's Aaron Frey's statement about the case, released on the same day of the court ruling. Um, it's den uh, denigrating religious schools' beliefs and religious practices and warning that religious schools will have to abide by the state's anti-discrimination laws in the Maine Human Rights Act. The education provided, this is a quote by the way, the education provided by the schools that issue here, religious schools that is, is inimical to a public education, Frey claimed, quote, they promote a single religion to the inclusion of all others. They refuse to admit gay and transgender children and openly discriminate in hiring teacher and staff. In other words, as one legal analyst explained, religious schools can participate in the state's tuition assistance programs as long as they're not religious, Ray says. In an open ed in the Banger Daily News, Jacob Posick of the Maine Policy Institute took issue with Frey's actions. Quote, it was a surprise to literally no one that this is where the high court would come down on Carson, Posick wrote. Quote, yet the Attorney General acted shocked by the decision and is scrambling to change the statute. Further quote, I found it quite remarkable that following the ruling, the Attorney General's office and Attorney General Aaron Frey himself immediately began reiterating arguments that the Supreme Court rejected, Posick also wrote. Other critics were similarly puzzled by Frey's reaction. Quote, our AG's response to losing this case was simultaneously baffling and offensive. Carol Conley, executive director of the Christian Civic League of Maine, told Fox News Digital, quote, his assertion that sectarian schools are enemical to a public education simply for not aligning with the state's orthodoxy of regarding human sexuality is very, the very definition of bigotry. Maine's tuition program was set up to help cover the education costs of students who don't have a public option. Only 143 of Maine's 260 school districts have a public high school. But since the 1980s, the program has excluded religious schools, dubbed secretarian schools by state statute. That exclusion was struck down as unconstitutional in June Supreme Court case. Quote, 
that is discrimination against religion, Chief Justice John Roberts wrote in majority opinion, quote, a state's anti-establishment of religion interest does not justify enactments that exclude some members of the community from an otherwise generally available public benefits because of their religious exercise. With the door open to state tuition dollars, however, only one religious school is signed up for the program. Marcus Rao, or Roque, it starts with an M actually, so it's M-R-O-W-K-A. Is, he's a state education spokesman, and he told the AP this last month, Banger Christian School President Tom Brown told the AP in an email that, quote, we are processing the Attorney General's statement saying that no Banger students um, will be receiving state tuition in the fall. Carson, whose daughter, daughter has since left Banger Christian schools is enrolled in college, expressed disappointment in the situation caused by the Attorney General. Quote, it's disappointing when you do all this and nothing happens, Carson said. It's kind of a circus to me. The Supreme Court says one thing, but the State Attorney General just does what he wants to do. What do you think of that story? Um, I thought it was pretty interesting that Maine's going through this, and um, I'd like to hear your thoughts, though. Okay, the next story I have for you is from Homeschool Legal Defense, and it says, uh, New York District charges family with neglect a year after they moved. This was written by Thomas J. Smith, Esquire, um, and he's a staff attorney there at Homeschool Legal Defense. Despite compiling, or I'm sorry, complying with the state homeschool law, a family move from one end of New York's Long Island to the other triggered a CPS investigation. At the end of the 2020-2021 school year, this homeschool legal defense family moved from eastern Suffolk County to Nossay, or Noss, I'm not sure how to say that, Nossier, uh County. As required by a law, the family completed their final homeschool quarterly report and submitted it, along with the annual student assessment to the public school district that they used to live in. They also informed the district they were moving and promptly began reporting to the new school district. Knowing that they had or diligently followed New York law completely, they were shocked to be con or contacted this month by Suffolk County Social Services for allegations of educational neglect. Failure to communicate. The CPS investigator accused the family of failing to provide the address of the home they had moved to. The family informed the CPS investigator that they had moved over a year ago and that they had notified their old school district of their move with their final homeschool reports back in 2021. The family had also forwarded documentation from their new school district, which verified that they had been following the New York homeschool law uh, for all of 2021 and 2022. After our office spoke with the family, I was frustrated to learn that this underserved harassment actually dated back to nearly a year before when the school district failed to act properly. 
upon hearing that the family had moved, school officials should have moved the students from their roles or removed them. Instead, a school official left a voicemail for the family in May of 2020, stating that there was a question about their paperwork. While trying to return their call, our member left a message reminded the school official that they had moved, but they were still on Long, on Long Island and had been reporting to their new school for over a year. Our member left their phone number and email for the school official in case there were any questions. The next they heard from the previous school district was the report to CPS. It's not in the law. The investigator explained that the family's previous school district claimed that they had failed to notify them of the district they had moved to. This meant that officials in the old district were unable to request a transfer of information from the new district. In response, I wrote a letter to the CPS investigator pointing out that New York law does not require any procedures for a homeschool parent to transfer their program from one school district to another. I informed the investigator that our member family had followed New York law exactly. He also provided additional evidence that the family had been in compliance with New York law the entire time. Finally, I urged Suffolk County Social Services to close the investigation. I pointed out that the allegation was clearly false and even malicious as the school officials and the reporting school district knew that the family had moved. While most CPS investigations in New York last for 60 days, we are hopeful that the investigation will be closed quickly and without further disruption to the tranquility of our member family's life. So what do you think about that article? Um, I actually have seen this happen before to another family in uh, New York City. It's been a while. I'm trying to remember the timeline, but I'm, I'm thinking I heard it, it was like a couple years ago, maybe two or three even. So that this is happening again in New York. I mean, it, it does happen in other locations as well, but for myself, um, you know, I, I know of other instances that, that this has happened. I don't know if they were in the same school district. I don't remember that, but there seems to be an issue, obviously, with, um, well, at least the Suffolk County uh, school there that we're talking about. So, anyways, it's pretty concerning, I think. Um, have you faced something like that? Do you live in New York, and has your family heard of that happening? We'd love to hear from you, um, and maybe even share your story. So, let us know, and, and give us your feedback of what you think is happening. All right, the next story I have for me is also from Homeschool Legal Defense, and it's this is from Missouri Company, News Job Offer After Graduate Provides Valid Diploma. This is written by Scott Woodruff, Esquire, and uh, it says, When a Missouri homeschool graduate applied for a job with a big health care company and received an offer, she happily accepted she put in her two weeks notice at her old job, excited to start afresh somewhere new. The prospective employer then asked a background check company to verify her high school diploma was valid. 
The company contacted Missouri Department of Elementary and Secondary Education, but because state laws require state education officials, no rule in homeschooling, DESE, could not confirm that her diploma was valid. The company told the graduate that the job offer was in jeopardy. Refusing to give up and surprised and frustrated, she did her best to explain to them that she was educated lawfully. She pointed out the DESE can't confirm a homeschool diploma because it has nothing to do with homeschooling. She told them he was, she was going to continue to fight for the job because she believed it was a good opportunity for professional growth. She had no intention of giving up on this, but they made good on their threat and rescinded the job offer. She was indignant and alarmed and no other employer she had ever worked for had questioned her status as a bona fide high school graduate. The health care company invited her to reapply after earning a GED. In response, she asked to escalate the issue to someone higher in the organization. Her point of contact said she would meet with her supervisor to discuss the situation very soon. Explaining the law, the homeschool graduate reached out to Homeschool Legal Defense for help. I quickly sent a letter explaining that Missouri Statute 105.255.1 prohibits discrimination against homeschool graduates in situations like this. Within 24 hours of receiving my letter, the company reinstated the job offer. After happily plugging in to her new job, the graduate looked back and shook her head about the rebuffs that she had to fight through and said, quote, that was something I never in my wildest dreams thought would happen to me. So another interesting um, turn of events, and this is pretty much the case for every state. So there is no way for the Department of Education to confirm or deny homeschool diplomas. So this could literally happen to anyone. And it isn't fair because homeschool um, diplomas, in my opinion, should be respected just as much, if not more so, than a regular diploma. And some people may not agree with that, but that's how I feel about it. And um, that's just the way it is. Okay, they have a lot of other really great articles um, in here. There's uh, one titled, Why More Black Chicago Parents Turn to Homeschooling. You can look those up on homeschoollegaldefense.org. A Classroom on Wheels, Federal Way a Woman Provided Homeschooling Support for, to Families. Homeschooling in 2022 is diverse and different for each family. And along with some other ones. So you may want to go on their website and look over the large array of, um, you know, articles. Because I can't possibly share them all on the radio show. But I just wanted to mention those to you as well. So just a moment here. Alright, so the next story I have from you is from Mississippi. And it uh, was reported on by WDAM-TV in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. 
Mississippi students see healthcare jobs up close. Students with disabilities learn hands-on career skills through Project Search. In Haddis, Mississippi, which connects students with tasks at Forest General Hospital, instructor Heather Reed says students spend an entire day at the working hospital in various departments. And in Maine, WGME-TV in Portland, Maine, reported that Maine District may ban wearable devices for students. A Maine school district is considering banning smartwatches for students and what would be the first update to its dress code in about 20 years. The proposed policy changes sites that dis- proposed policy change cites the disruptions to learning caused by wearable devices such as Apple Watches and Fitbits. And the Washington Post reports that some states ease requirements for classroom teachers. Some states, in a move to address the teacher shortages, are easing certification requirements. Typically in in place for classroom teachers, in Florida, a proposal would recruit community college graduates and military veterans to teach with guidance from mentor teachers. And Chalkbeat in Colorado voices concerns over a school choice policy. Colorado school choice policy enables schools to deny admission to students with disabilities on the grounds that they lack the resources to provide the services those students require. A complaint filed with the U.S. Department of Education claims that the state's education department is reportedly looking into this matter. And the Helio and Endocrine Today reported that kids with T1D may have higher risk for anxiety and depression. A pediatric type 1 diabetes patient may be at risk or at greater risk for anxiety, depression, and stress-related problems and familiar factors may be a contributor, according to a large study published in the Journal of Diabetes Care. Children diagnosed with childhood onset type 1 diabetes were at greater risk than those without diabetes for a psychiatric diagnosis of any kind as well as specific diagnoses of stress-related disorders and depression. And those with T1D also were more likely to use antidepressants and oxalants. Moving right along, the next story I have from you, or for you, excuse me, is from fee.org. This is from out of the UK and England, and it's titled, England Refuses to Offer COVID Shots to Kids Under 12 While U.S. Cities Mandate Them. Who's Right? The question is not whether children or adults should be given COVID vaccines. The question is who gets to choose? This was written by John Miltimore and it's dated September 14th. It says the UK Health Security Agency, known as UKHSA, 
announced last week that children under the age of 12 will no longer be offered the COVID-19 vaccines unless the children are deemed high risk. The decision appears to have rankled the Guardian, which quoted several physicians who criticized the move. Quote, when we know there is a safe and effective vaccine available, this seems unjustifiable to me, Professor Christina Pagel of the University College in London told the newspaper, noting that deaths from COVID shots are rare. Precisely why small children are being denied COVID vaccines or something the Guardian didn't share apart from admitting they can occasionally result in death. Perhaps because the UKHSA's Green Book offers few details. Presumably, the decision stems from the fact that small children are by far the least likely to fall seriously ill from COVID, combined with the government data that shows myocarditis is a serious, though rare, side effect, particularly in young males. Whatever the case, the UKHSA's decision puts England in line with several other European countries, including Sweden, Finland, Norway, and Denmark, that do not offer or recommend the mRNA vaccines to healthy young children. In the United States, on the other hand, some cities are pushing in a different direction. In Washington, D.C., Mayor Muriel Bowser, or Bowser is embroiled in a bitter battle over her order that all students must be vaccinated for COVID-19 for in-person learning in schools, a policy that could have severe implications considering that an estimated 40% of black teens are unvaccinated. Quote, among the impacts of this policy, it will almost certainly broaden the racial educational gaps given that the vaccination rate for 12 to 17 year olds Black students is under 60%. Janaea Bennett, executive director of the Youth Leadership Foundation, wrote in Newsweek, quote, and this would be an absolute disaster. Washington, D.C. is one of few parts of the country requiring vaccination against the coronavirus to attend K-12 school. Universities are a different matter, but other examples exist. New Orleans in February added COVID vaccines to its list of required shots for kids five years old and older. And Washington Post notes that while New York City requires students to be vaccinated if they wish to play sports or participate in extracurricular activities. So the question is, who shall decide? It's strange. On one hand, you have a European nations refusing to give COVID vaccines to young kids, even though parents might want to vaccinate them. On the other hand, you have U.S. cities forcing children to take vaccines parents may want nothing to do with, as well as condition of attending school or playing sports. The common denominator here is not hard to spot. In both instances, government officials get to choose what is best for the child. There are interesting parallels to this. In May, I wrote about the baby formula shortage and noted that the New York Times pointed out baby formula is one of the most regulated products in the U.S. The U.S. is not alone, however. European countries also have 
highly regulated baby formula markets. The somewhat comical result is that nearly all U.S. baby formulas fail to meet EU standards and virtually all EU standards fail to meet U.S. standards. Who gets the baby formula right? The EU or the U.S.? As I noted at the time, this is the wrong question. Of course, I think it's a pretty fair question. And it's, I really don't think the U.S. standards on formula, they're awful. So I would side more with the EU personally. And I also advocate for families making their own. And I refer to Flav City, F-L-A-V-C-I-T-Y. Um, you should listen to him. Uh, you can look him up on uh, YouTube and look up Flav City Baby Formula, something like that. And listen, the guy really takes apart the baby formulas here in the U.S. and in some around the world, too. So it's worth listening to him if you have a baby at home, deciding that. Back to the article. The most basic question is not what is best, but who shall decide what is best. The economist Thomas Sowell reminds us. The same can be said of vaccines. The question is not whether the children or adults should be given COVID vaccines. The question is who gets to choose. Everyone looks. Everywhere one looks, excuse me, governments and bureaucrats are, bureaucrats are trying to make the decision for others. Some are saying children can't get the mRNA vaccines. Others are saying children must get the mRNA vaccines. It's bad enough when governments are deciding what kind of baby formula one must buy, but it's arguably worse when the governments are choosing who must or can't take a vaccine that has the power to save lives or claim lives. The whole basis of informed consent is that humans are given information and then allowed to choose or reject treatment. It's one of the foundations of medical ethics, but it seems to have gone right out of the proverbial window during the pandemic. Why? One reason is undoubtedly the pandemic created a climate of fear, which can create a demand for coercion. But I suspect the retreat of choice also stems from broader cultural retreat from capitalism, a system that makes consumers so sovereign instead of bureaucrats. Quote, the real bosses in the capitalist system of market economy are the consumers. The economist Ludwig von Mises, or Mises wrote in his book Bureaucracy, quote, they, by their buying and their absentention, from buying, uh, decide who should own the capital and run the plants. They determine what should be produced and what quantity and quality. Their attributes result either in profit or loss for the enterpriser. For decades, Americans have slowly and quietly and perhaps unknowingly embraced a different system. In this system, the government officials decide what butter is safe, what milk can be purchased and consumed, what kind of car is good for the environment and therefore available to purchase. Instead of a system based on individual choice and mutual change or exchange, Americans have tactfully embraced a system that allows bureaucrats or crats to uh, decide for them 
including who can or cannot or must take a vaccine with life-altering powers. It should also be noted that we had vaccines from the beginning of the COVID pandemic, but the FDA prohibited challenge trials that could have demonstrated their safety and effectiveness in a matter of weeks. All across the world, people continue to squabble over whether vaccines are safe and effective. They should seek to answer a different question. What do you think that question is? Who gets to decide? Hmm. Well, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and then we're going to be right back. Stay tuned. Right now, now. you might be struggling through your classes or even failing them. You might be worried that you may not finish high school. There might have even been a thought that you may not be smart enough. Well, the New Heights Educational Group begs to differ. We not only think you are smart enough, but with our help, you will complete your high school diploma. The New Heights Educational Group strives to improve your academic success through its tutoring services. To learn more, please visit newheightseducation.org and contact us. New Heights Educational Group, educational resources to help reach your goals. Tired of long waits and rushed care at the ER and urgent care clinic? Next time, stay home and let Dispatch Health bring the power of the hospital to you. I call Dispatch Health. A care team of medical professionals actually come to your house. They're the same caliber of people that you would see if you were at a hospital or an urgent care. Dispatch Health can treat most non-life-threatening emergencies. They can do the x-rays, they can do stitches. Urinary tract infections, blood tests, urinalysis, ultrasound. It's almost everything that they can do at the ER. You never feel rushed. They're there for you and only you. I felt like their only patient. And it costs no more than a trip to urgent care because Dispatch Health is covered by most insurance, including Medicare. See if we serve your home at DispatchHealth.com. Dispatch Health really went above and beyond. It's wonderful to have care come to your home. House calls are back, and they're better than ever. Learn more at DispatchHealth.com. Hello, welcome back to Education in the, new, in the News. This is your host, Pamela Clark, and we're going over news stories from all over the world and around the U.S., so let's get right back into it. As you were listening to that commercial, it talks about the New Heights Educational Group, um, which the New Heights Show on Education is created and sponsored by, part of our organization and what we offer. Um, we talked about the tutoring um, that we have here at New Heights. Recently, we've been looking for new volunteer instructors for multiple subjects, and we do have a waiting list on those that need services. We had been waiving the fee and having only volunteer teachers up until recently, but we have not been able to acquire new ones to volunteer. So we are changing our costs of tutoring, and we invite you to our website, newitseducation.org. Click on Program and Services to learn about the new costs associated with our tutoring program. And if you'd like to volunteer or even become a teacher or tutor with us, please contact us directly and uh, we can discuss that. Okay, the next story I have for you is from Edutopia. And actually, hold on a moment. I'm going to skip that one. Repeat again, okay. 
Okay, the next one is from San Mateo Daily Journal in California. It says, student mental health is focus of cell phone policy. A California San Mateo Foster City School District is working to support student mental health this year by limiting cell phone use in middle schools to designate, designated areas. The policy, which already has been implemented successfully in nearby San Mateo High School, is hoped to reduce bullying, social isolation, and other mental health issues that can be worsened by excessive social media use, says Superintendent Diego. It's O-C-H-O-A. I'm going to butcher that, so I'm not even going to try to say it. WRGB-TV in Albany, New York, reported that New York ups age limit for special education services. As schools gear up to help students bridge learning gaps that resulted from the pandemic-related education interruptions, lawmakers in New York have passed state legislation to help students with disabilities access much-needed services. Under the measure, the students would have aged out of services at 21 can now access those services until the age of 23. Now, this is a, a, actually a really important thing to know um, for families in need of, of services. And I believe in Ohio, where we're at, I believe the age is 22. I but it's important to know what your age requirement is if you have special education or students that need the, those sor sorts of services. That's what I'm trying to say. Anyways, um, we will be sharing that information upcoming our next magazine, which you can um, send us an email at education at yahoo.com and, and ask for uh, to subscribe to it. It's free. Alrighty, New Jersey Advanced Media in Morristown, New Jersey, um, reported that New Jersey lowers threshold to qualify for free school meals. <clears throat> Excuse me. New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy signed a bill into law Friday to expand access to free school meals across the state. The Working Class Families Anti-Hunger Act lowers the threshold to qualify for school meals to families whose annual incomes fall below 200% of the federal poverty level rather than the previous 185%. Got <clears throat> some news clips here from the Department of Education here in Ohio. So let's see here. We got state and local education news, Dayton, Dayton Daily News. School report cards are out Thursday, changed from letter grade to star system. For the first time in two years, school districts will receive a rating when state report cards are released Thursday. But it will look different than in past years. The Ohio legislature changed the school report card rating from the A to F grades, which in our area, there's a lot of D and F felling schools, to a 1.5 star system. Wow. The last time schools were given a grade was the 2018 school year, the state said. It was would be unfair 
to schools to grade them in 2019, 2020, 2020 to 2021 school years amid the COVID disruptions. Schools still be, will be evaluated on how well their students are doing on state tests, reading proficiency in kindergarten through third grade, graduation rates, how students are progressing year over year, and how well schools are able to close gaps for underprivileged students such as English language learners or disabled students and how ready a student is to enter the workforce college or military after graduation. What do you think of that? I, I, <laughs> I think they're trying to hide more. Um, that's my instincts. They, they obviously don't have very good grades to begin with, and they really started to hide them early on. And I don't know, I've just witnessed kind of a lot that um, this is a concern. I, I think they're trying to cover some things up, but that's my opinion. Washington, back to these announcements. Um, Washington Courthouse uh, Record Herald reported that state superintendent visits Miami Trace. On Monday, Dr. Stephanie Sidden, state superintendent of public instruction, visited the Miami Trace Local School District. Siddons was greeted at the door of the elementary school with handmade signs and a warm welcome from four members of the fifth grade student council. Justin Lamon, Miami Trace Elementary School Principal, Sonny Cummings, Elementary School Vice Principal, and Miami Trace Local School Superintendent Kim Petzer escorted Dr. Siddons and her colleagues on a tour of the elementary building. Cleveland.com reports that Eric Gordon steered Cleveland schools through more than a decade of change. A timeline. Who was Eric Gordon and what did he accomplish? The Cleveland Metropolitan School District CEO is at the heart an educator who loves kids. For more than a decade, he has steered Cleveland schools. Here are some career highlights. You can go on cleveland.com to read more about him, but <laughs> I didn't think Cleveland schools were that great, but I'm not taking... I mean, that might sound really harsh because maybe he worked really hard and, and tried, but um, I don't hear anything good about Cleveland schools, so that's what sticks in my mind. Also, Cleveland.com reports that Lakewood City Schools is using $27,000 grant to purchase high-tech robot kits for elementary buildings. Newly created STEM classes at the elementary level in Lakewood City Schools are getting a boost from the Ozobot Evo classroom kits going into seven maker spaces. The district through Lakewood Rangers Education Foundation, LREF, is paying for the modern robots using a recently awarded Helmet Aerospace Foundation $26,910 grant. Also from Cleveland.com, Lakewood City Schools welcome Romanian educator delegation visiting Northeast Ohio. The war in Ukraine finds educators around the globe preparing for an influx of refugee students in their districts.
With that in mind, Lakewood City Schools last month was one of many Northeast Ohio districts to host a delegation of Romanian educators participating in a visit to the U.S. through the Congressional Office for International Leadership in collaboration with the U.S. State Department. And the Akron Beacon Journal uh, reports that thousands of kids will never forget you. Akron teacher of 30 year, 32 years dies of cancer. Every year, Firestone High School history teacher Jill Rigonis was given the option of teaching only the international bachelorette and advanced placement classes. Every year, she said no. She was a founding teacher in Firestone's IV program, but always taught at least two general education classes, believing in those students just the same and believing they deserved her attention as much as the highest achieving students. For her 32 years of teaching in Akron Public Schools, the district awarded her the Maryland Parks Award last spring and Lifetime Achievement Award for Akron educators. We're going to have to take another quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. Stay tuned. Lots more. Hello, Hello. listeners. If you're enjoying the New Heights show on education and want to support or donate to our organization, please visit www.newheightseducation.org. And while you're there, check out our online store. Hello, welcome back to the New Heights Show on Education. You're listening to Education in the News, and I'm your host, Pamela Clark. We have some more uh, news stories to cover. I have some actual audio recordings I wanted to share with you. Let me bring them up here. It was kind of interesting, some that I came across. So here it is, the most unpopular opinion. I love her deal. I hope you guys duet and stitch or save or whatever you need to do to this because it's going to get down fast. If I would have understood when I was younger that fighting for my rights as a lesbian would mean allowing children to drag shows, attaching child molesters to our community, and allowing children to change their sex before they even know what their favorite color is. I would have never done it. Never. Wow. What do you think of that? When I came across that, I was I wanted to share it with you because I do believe that you know, people can live their individual lives any way they want as long as they don't impose it on others. And that includes any subject matter. But I do believe that children should never be exposed to anything 
and related to sex in any way. I, I really don't. And I also believe that once children are, you know, um, getting older and their, their teenage years, that it should only be the parents that explain things to them. And I think it's really scary what's happening in the public schools and in our communities. And, and for someone to say what she just said in the way she just said it, I thought was pretty powerful. I have another one as well. This is, um, I believe this recording was made at Hillsboro Schools. I think it's in Florida, if I remember correctly. It won't specify in it, but I'll, but I'll try to tell you if I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, I'll make a, a, rem a remark about it after you listen to this recording. Okay, so here goes. Good evening, my name is Will Witt, and I'm here to really ask what is wrong with Hillsborough County Public Schools that they would allow such a book like This is a Book That's Gay in their schools. I mean, if you look at what's happening in this book, it is pornographic. If kids go online, they are not allowed to watch porn. Uh, it is illegal for them to do so. The kids at these schools are 11 to 13 years old, and it is encouraging them to go on the dating site Grinder. You guys, what the, the world that you live in, you know what Grinder is. It is not just a place where you go and meet other people. It is a gay sex app, and you are encouraging children to go onto that app and engage in these sexual activities. You are opening them up to sexual predators, and you are opening them up to grooming. And so what I'm here to say is that there are no excuses for having a book like this in classrooms at schools here in Florida. It is evil. Good evening. My name is Will Witt. So... I told you the right school in the right state. <laughs> so what do you think of that? Uh, to me, serious alarm bells are going off that this is happening. So, <clears throat> very scary. I, I, I keep telling everyone that if you're being homeschooled, you need to have homeschool legal defense. You need to get a membership with them. And New Heights is affiliated with them. You can go through our site to get our code and everything and, and joining under us. But if your children are public school in public schools, you need to have a presence in that school, volunteer or something. You need to know what's being taught and you need to be going to meetings in the school and um, sticking up for your children. And, but I really believe that kids shouldn't be in these public schools right now with everything going on. I don't think they're safe places. And I hate to say that, but, and, and there may be some schools that are safe, but <laughs> it's not in the big cities. It's not in and a, a school that indoctrinates students and uses, you know, like common core curriculum and state standard, standardized curriculum. So a lot of concern is happening in the public schools and people really need to wake up to the dangers that are happening within it. Okay, so the next stories I have for you 
Okay, let's see. This is from Chalkbeat in New York, and Staten Island Advance also reported on it. It says, New York City School Launch Apprenticeship Program. About 3,000 students, primarily rising juniors and cedar, seniors at 59 New York City school, high schools, will be placed in technology, finance, and business apprenticeships that will last between two and three years. The program, announced Monday, also includes a career readiness curriculum for 9th to 10th grade students. Sorry, bear with me. I have some repeats again. And the next reports I have are from uh, PND, the Philanthropy News Digest. And let's see here. Knight Foundation invests $31 million in Akron Arts Initiatives. The University of Akron will receive $20 million to renovate Polsky Building, while the remaining $11 million will support three local arts organizations to open calls that fund artistic creation and tech integration. Just a moment. Okay, I got to switch again here. This is from Smart Brief on EdTech. This says cyber attack on LA district prompts e-rate proposal. Several groups are urging the FCC to alter e-rate funding to allow the funds to go forward, helping protect schools and libraries from cyber attacks. The proposal from the Consortium for School Networking, State E-Rate Coordinates Alliance, or Coordinators Alliance, State Educational Technology Directors Association, and Schools, Health and Libraries Broadband Coalition comes after a ransomware attack on the Los Angeles Unified School District. The Associated Press reported the teacher strike in Seattle could be ending. The Seattle Public Schools on Monday announced a tentative agreement with the district teachers union that could include a strike that began September 7th, would end a strike, excuse me, that began September 7th and has delayed the start of the school year. An announcement it was expected this morning about when the first day of classes would begin. Bringing up the next one. This is from Middle Web on Smart Brief. And it, this story comes out of Owensboro Messenger Inquirer in Kentucky. Kite building offer hands-on engineering lesson. Kentucky middle schoolers explored engineering concepts by making and flying their own kites. Owensboro Innovation Middle School seventh graders drew blueprints, calculated the appropriate scale, and explored features like rails and tails before taking their kites for a test fly. 
said teacher Nathan Hart. And Chalkbeat reports that in Indiana District Rethinking Middle Schools, the Indianapolis Public School District is considering creating a standalone middle school in order to provide better education opportunities to students. Administrators say many K-8 schools have less available funding to offer middle schoolers subjects such as algebra and foreign language. I don't know why they don't incorporate uh, more nonprofit organizations like ours that have those sorts of things for very minimal cost and, and partner with organizations like ours. Um, I really think that that would be a good idea, but... Anyways, um, the Washington Post reported that millions of kids lost parents, caregivers during pandemic. A research letter published in JAMA, J-A-M-A, Pediatrics, estimated that more than 10.5 million children worldwide have lost parents or caregivers during the COVID-19 pandemic, with Southeast Asia and Africa having lost the highest loss rates. An estimated 250,000 children in the U.S. lost one or both parents. Children who, get, who live in countries with low vaccination rates and high fertility rates were more likely to lose a parent, the study found. Yahoo Life reported that Connecticut middle schoolers raised comforted by service dogs. Students and teachers and staff at Scotts Ridge Middle School in Ridgeville, Ridgefield, Connecticut, take part in a program to raise future guide dogs for nonprofit guiding eyes for the blind. The sixth grade social studies teacher, Patricia Dowd, says the dogs, four, are currently at the school, not only comfort students who are having a difficult time, but they teach students about responsibility and taking care of an animal. An eSchool News reports that teachers train educators for virtual learning. Teacher preparation programs should help new teachers prepare to teach in any setting, including virtual, writes Gina Churchill, a middle school math teacher. In this commentary, Churchill asserts that virtual learning expertise also can strengthen traditional classroom lessons. New Heights Educational Group also offers training to teachers. Just FYI, to our teachers, I should say. The Washington Post reported that New York City to maintain ban on snowy days. New York City Public Schools will maintain a policy adopted in 2010 that eliminates snowy days or snow days, saying that remote learning technology can support instruction during inclement weather. <laughs> well, if the internet works right, people. While school officials say the approach aids school operations, it has been criticized by some students and parents. Let's check our time. We are almost out of time. So let me do, let me 
look at something. I thought there was something I had saved. I wanted to share with you today. I don't remember sharing it yet. Hmm. Not seeing what I was looking for. I'll share a few more announcements from Filmthropy News Digest. The platform for bipolar disorder research launched with $150 million. The commitment includes $50 million each year. Oh, 50 million each over five years from Google co-founder Sergey Brin, Worldblox founder David Bazuski and his wife Jan, and Keystone Capital Chair Kent Dalton and his wife Liz. And uh, let's see here. Whoop. Sorry, different things are popping up on me. Uh, the DeQuince University receives $50 million from Thomas Klein. The largest gift in the university's history will support scholarships for students at what will be renamed the Thomas R. Klein School of Law, DeQuince University, as well as faculty grants for excellence in teaching and scholarship and other strategic priorities. FYI, on our site, newheightseducation.org, if you go to the Learning Annex, we have um, some scholarships. You can win 10000 or more. Um, go, go to the Learning Annex and find that, and you just enter your information and apply to it, and um, never know. might want to check that out. Uh, top nonprofit CEO median compensated decrease in 2020 report finds. The report from Candid found that the, while the median compensation for nonprofit CEOs increased by 4.7% overall, the figure fell 5.2% for organizations with budgets of less than $50 million. Wow. We couldn't even imagine a budget of $50 million. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> wow, okay. Bringing up another one here. University of Virginia receives $14 million for School of Nursing. The gift from Joanne and Bill Conway will provide at least 175 need and eligibility-based scholarships to both graduate and undergraduate students to help cover tuition, school fees, room and board, and books. And the McNulty Foundation commits $2.6 million to St. Joseph University. The funding will enhance the existing John P. McNulty Scholars Program so it reaches more women over the next seven years and invests more deeply in preparing and nurturing women's leadership in these fields. All right, well, I think that brings us towards the end of our show. I want to remind everybody of Barbara Boland's show uh, that airs by 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Sundays. Her show, she covers the topic of civil rights, which is very important. And then my show, the Education in the News show, airs on our Spreaker channel and radio.newheightseducation.org sites by 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And then we're on 29, 30 different networks right now. 
So you can also visit any of those from our radio page that I just gave you. And if you'd consider donating to our cause, if you believe education should be available and affordable for everyone willing to work for it, and that everybody deserves a fair and equal education, we ask that you support our cause and our goals. And you can learn all about us, of course, at our regular website, newheightseducation.org. Thank you for joining me as usual and spending this last hour with me. Until next time. Tired of long waits and rushed care at the ER and urgent care clinic? Next time, stay home and let Dispatch Health bring the power of the hospital to you. I call Dispatch Health. A care team of medical professionals actually come to your house. They're the same caliber of people that you would see if you were at a hospital or an urgent care. Dispatch Health can treat most non-life-threatening emergencies. They can do the x-rays, they can do stitches. Urinary tract infections, blood tests, urinalysis, ultrasound. It's almost everything that they can do at the ER. You never feel rushed. They're there for you and only you. I felt like their only patient. And it costs no more than a trip to urgent care because Dispatch Health is covered by most insurance, including Medicare. See if we serve your home at DispatchHealth.com. Dispatch Health really went above and beyond. It's wonderful to have care come to your home. House calls are back and they're better than ever. Learn more at DispatchHealth.com.